starting a series today titled Divine Exploits by Conviction. Let's give the Lord a big hand. Divine exploits by conviction. I'm so eager to get into this series, I was almost going to launch it last Sunday, <laughs> if you remember. Because it is the basis of what everything relies on, your conviction. What are you convicted of? What is your conviction? What is my conviction? So we will be looking at a few characters as we are doing throughout this year, looking at Bible characters in the different themes, different times. Some of the characters will look at them for a bit in one section of their lives, then we'll come back to it later in the year. Uh, it is a this year, like I told you last year, is a series. It's going to be a, a many series that are very different from what we've done before. So some some things will be like we are repeating it, but we are going into certain aspects as God will be showing us as we progress. That is what God laid on my heart for the year 2023. And um, we will be looking at the life of the man called Abraham today. So the title of today's session is Abraham's Conviction. Abraham's Conviction. Next week we'll look at somebody else's conviction and so on for the four parts of this particular series. So we want to understand that when we talk about conviction, it is a quality. It is a quality of showing that one is firmly convinced in what they believe. It is a quality of showing that one is firmly convinced of what they believe. You see, a conviction is evident. A conviction is evident. If you put three women in a room and they are talking and you put me in another room, if my wife is there and you allow me to listen to all the women talking, I will tell you exactly, with conviction, the one that is my wife. I can't miss it. After 30 years of living, of, of being with the same person, hearing them almost every day for those 30 years, it will be an anomaly if I pick a wrong person as, as the person that is speaking. So that is the way we must be convicted about the things. It's a quality of showing that you are truly convinced about what you believe. So I want us all to focus on this today. Several people in scripture have demonstrated their, conv their conviction in many ways. They showed that they believed God. They demonstrated that they believed God. We looked at Nehemiah last week, David the upper way. We looked at Ruth the first week in, in, in February. Then we looked at Jacob. People who are convinced about certain things. Jacob was convinced that this woman called Rachel was the love of his life. And he was ready to do anything. He was convinced. Convinced. So when we are not convinced, we cannot walk in conviction. So conviction is very important if we are going to have a relationship with God, if we are going to go far with God. If you are going to be successful in anything, you must, be you must have a conviction. You must have a conviction of your calling. You must have a conviction of your, 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 even your vocational gifts, the things you do. As an engineer, somebody who has specified and designed buildings for, and different kinds of infrastructure for almost three decades now, I can tell you, in the earlier days of my career, I was convinced about certain things, but the more I grew in the profession and got experience and done it, tried it, done it again, tried it again, done it again, the more I grow into conviction of certain things. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? There are certain things that will wake me from sleep now, and they say, oh, there's this problem, we need to solve this. What do you do? Without, without going too far, I'll just tell them, do this ABC, because I've done it for 20 years, and it's worked every time. So there is, this is the way you must have a relationship with God. When you have prayed, you have tested the word of God, you have walked with God, you have seen God, you must have something that shows out of your life, like we saw in Abraham, that is showing your conviction. This is why I want us to look at the life of this man, and as we do this church, we will start today, and as we pray through in the week, we will be revealing more and more through myself and the other vessels of God that will be uh, cooperating and, and, and tapping into what God wants to do with us to just explore the life of this man. And if you have not been joining our morning prayers, I want to encourage you, 5 a.m. to 6 a.m., you can join from anywhere in the world. We have people who join from Ghana, who join from Nigeria every week. And we have people in this world that don't bother to join once. <laughs> be part of it. Many of the things we share today is just like an iceberg. Those of you that follow you will see on on monday some kind of revelations that will come out again and tuesday and wednesday it's beautiful and it complements it so join it even if it's once just join it and let's pray together but at the same time explore the word of god the same thing with the with, with us coming to the midweek service our midweek services are also held online wednesday 7 30 to 9 on zoom you can ask if you don't know the link which can be given to you to just join in and it gives us an opportunity to also ask questions. You see, people have questions that they don't talk about. People, people don't know why Abraham lied, for example. Some people just preach, say Abraham lied. And that's all they know, he lied. <laughs> but when you look at scripture, while I'm not saying he didn't lie, and I'm not saying it's good to lie, but when you look at scripture, you will see that that very encounter in Egypt had a purpose. The more I look at scripture, I saw that God has a way of making everything truly work together for good. But that is not my emphasis at this point. Hebrews 11, verse 6, a verse we quote and read a lot. I would like us to read it again very quickly to just show how important conviction is for every believer. Hebrews 11, verse 6. Can I have that projected? Thank you, everybody. Let's read. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe. Everybody say he must believe. He must believe. He must be convicted. He must be convinced and convicted by his. He must be convicted by what he is convinced of. He must believe that he is. The original King James says he must believe that he exists. How can you relate with a God you do not believe exists? That's the first thing you must ask yourself. Do, and, and don't say, but Brother Dave, how can you say I don't believe God exists? I won't be here if I don't believe he exists. But the truth is, at times, at times, the storms of life make you question, God, where are you? Anytime you find yourself ever, say, God, where are you? That means you are not fully convinced yet that he exists. The day it hits you, you will never, ever again ask, God, where are you? <laughs> never. It will never cross your mind because you are convinced he exists. You are convinced, you believe that he is, and you know he cannot die. The Bible says, he who comes to God must believe that he is, number one. Then number two, and that, let's go, and that he is 
a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you believe he rewards, you will not have problem in diligently seeking him. You will not. And you will never doubt diligently seeking him. And when you are diligently seeking him, you will never doubt he is truly a rewarder. You see, the truth is that these kind of scriptures, we read them and quote them and sing and dance with them. But we don't take time to ponder the implications. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It is impossible. When you come to God and you don't have faith, there is no connection. There is no chance for anything. It is impossible. Not that it may happen, it may not. It is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, I'm not trying to have a go at you. I know that people are different phases of faith, but my duty and my job and my assignment really is to encourage you to move up. I've been in situations that are very dire in my life. As a 15-year-old, I couldn't understand what was happening to my elder brother, late elder brother, who just started to have mental issues. We were all brought up in church. We were all born into church, and we all grew up. Our parents have never seen my parents do anything else than serving God and honoring God and loving God's people and just doing things of God. So I could not explain it as a 16-year-old why this, my brother, who taught me the way of the Lord, who taught me how to become a young man, who mentored me because he was eight years older than me, mentored me in many ways that I followed his footsteps up to that stage stage, including how to pass my GCSEs. That time we didn't call it GCSEs, we called them YEC, where I was coming from. He taught me how to strategize and make A's and make sure that if I can't get an A, how to make sure that I don't get less than a C4 and so on and so forth. He gave me all that kind of insight, got into medical school and then he just couldn't make progress from there. Like as if an arrow was shot at him. Something just happened. First year, he had to repeat. And he got across first year because in medicine you don't repeat first year, but you could repeat those days, year two and three. So he repeated year two. And then he got into 300 level. That's year three. And then I got into university. He should have gone. His mates were already in 500 level when I met him in 300 level, second time, 300 level. And then I just came into 100 level. Because I went straight from secondary school. I was very fast. At 15, I passed my entrance exam. So by the time I was 16, I was already almost ending year one in in university. Now, the point is this. It was tough. I would be in the lecture room, and they would come and call me that my brother was causing problems, and I should come and take care of him. I would leave my physics, chemistry, or biological class, whatever it was. I'm sorry, physics, chemistry, or maths was what we did in, in engineering. I would leave that class and go to medical school and carry my own brother who was about 23, 24 years old that time and lead him home, lead him to the dormitory, to the hostel, like a sheep that doesn't know what he's doing. I was only 16 years old. I was almost going to ask God, where are you? God, why? Why are you doing this to us? We don't deserve this. I was almost going to ask such questions. But something on my inside kept on saying all things work together for good. All things work together for good. I was young, but I couldn't know much. And then God said to me, son, you've got to be strong. Because if you sink, your entire family will sink. 
And I never knew that that one singular experience would give me the faith by the grace of God upon which I stand today strong, stand today vibrant, never ever having an occasion to doubt God anymore because God is faithful. And I, I pray that God will build your faith in Jesus' name. This was what we saw in the life of this man called Abraham. Abraham demonstrated his conviction of God's word so clearly. All through scripture, if you read the entire Old Testament and you look at the life of Abraham, which was just captured, thank you for that scripture, which was just captured in a few chapters. In the New Testament, apart from Moses, the only other person talked about so much was Abraham. Paul's writings throughout Acts, Stephen talked about him in Acts, Luke talked about him, referred to him in the book of Acts, and then you have the references of Paul to the Ephesians, to the Romans, Corinthians, always repeating Abraham's faith. And of course, the whole book of the, what we call the, the, the book of faith in Hebrews is really, really around the life of the kind of faith that Abraham had. James chapter 2 verse 23 this is the only man ever referred to as the friend of God. The only man ever to be called the friend of God that gave us the privilege to be able to sing today that we are also the friends of God because through him we have been brought into faith. The Bible says thank you and the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for what? For righteousness and he was called what? The friend of God. We are also, as a people who have been blessed through the life of Abraham, called the children of God. This is Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. We are also by privilege called the children of God. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 7. Abraham's important. Thank you. The Bible says, therefore, know that only those who are of faith, only those who are of faith are sons of what? Abraham. You and I are called sons of Abraham because we are of faith. And may God continue to help us to maintain our sonship in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you for the scripture. Abraham's importance and impact are clearly seen in scripture. If you read the Bible from Genesis chapter 11 right through to Genesis 28, 25 verse 8 when the Bible records his death, you will see the life of this one man that God called out of his own people, to create for himself a new breed of followers. You see, Genesis 12 did not just happen. Genesis 12, 1, where we read verse 1 to 9, we'll read it again very shortly. But where we read did not just happen. God did not just call Abraham. If you read the entire scripture from Genesis 3, particularly after the fall of man, to Genesis 11, you will see that a lot of confusion had taken place. Man had begun to live a life that was wayward, Evil continually, the Bible describes it. In Noah's days, the Bible says the only imagination of heart of man was evil continually. When I meditate on those words, it shocks me that how can the only, the Bible says the only imagination in the heart of man was evil continually. So the moment they think there was nothing good, it was evil, evil, evil. That's a terrible state to be in. <laughs> a terrible state to be in. So the world was truly chaotic. God rescued man. By through the life of Noah, as many that went into the ship with him, his family, and all the animals he saved, so that he wiped out that generation completely and started again from the man called Noah. 
and things were going on. God was being, Noah came out, he sacrificed to God. But again, as the world began to multiply, we got to Babel. They said to themselves, let us build for ourselves a tower. They had one language. They had one purpose as a people at that time. They said, let us build for ourselves a tower that will reach to the heavens and make a name for ourselves. God said, these people have started again. <laughs> they have started again. So he scattered their language. But you see, that act of scattering their language, whilst it did not help them to build the tower, caused them in their new languages to now be forming gods for themselves. So this one will take wood and carve it and call it a name in his language. <laughs> that one will take stone and put two on top of each other and say, that is my own God. They say, that's your God. Ah, come and see my own. Then they, this one will go to one river and say, this is my own God. So chaos, confusion everywhere. Even Abraham's father, Terah, was a worshiper of many gods. And that was what Abraham was born into. So that we understand that when we say now, Abraham, God said to Abraham, get out of your people. It is not just a call for, it was to begin the journey of where we are today. And thank God that man called Abraham, that's why we're starting with his life, responded under such chaotic dispositions where people did not know what they were doing. So his father, Terah, was somebody who used to live with him in the land of Ur, of the Chaldeans. The Bible makes us to understand. And Terah actually set out to go to Canaan. But God's in his, God, in his wisdom, was not selecting Terah for this assignment per se. But it was going to be Abraham. And this is how God works. David wants to build a temple. God said, no, it is his son, Solomon, that will build it. That's his sovereignty. We can't explain. I still can't explain why God. I know he talked about the bloodshed in the hand of David. But this is the man he said was after his heart. So why would he just let him build the temple? But that's God. And these are some of the things we must learn when we understand faith. Because faith doesn't just mean that you get what you want the way you want it, the way you like it. It just simply means that you align your thought process and your desires to whatever God wants to do. That's what faith is all about. And you agree to it. You sign up for it. You don't doubt him. You don't query him. You don't question him. We live in a generation now that says that that is dogmas. And when we preach like that, they say we are trying to brainwash people or gaslight them not to be thinkers again. No. God did not say don't think. If he doesn't want you to think, he won't give you a brain. He just says, come and think the way I'm thinking. Because the way you think will destroy you. There is a way that will always seem right to a man, but the end of it is what? It's destruction. So he said, come and let us reason together. Let me show you the right way to go. Who do you think you are? I made you. <laughs> I made you. Hallelujah. My father will always say, whatever cannot talk can never be wiser than you. I used to think it was a joke, but I've tried it many times. Even computers. <laughs> Hallelujah. At least there's one country where they made one computer to do election for them. You see, at the end, they still thought, <laughs> they still made sure that computer didn't work. <laughs> I just digress, you know me. But uh, let's leave that by the side. Hallelujah. But the reality is this. The reality is this. God wants us to align with him. And this is what Abraham showed us in his faith journey. Genesis chapter 12, I want us to read those verses again very quickly, verse 1 to 9. The Bible says, now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land. Get out from, to, from comfort, 
un, from known, from complacency, from your usual, from everything you understand to something you have no clue. And this is the first lesson we must learn from Abraham. We have looked at it a few times. But you see, for a person to be told this and to act on it, there is something in the voice he heard from a God he is yet to fully know. A God he is yet to fully know spoke to him. And the Bible says, God said to him, you have to leave your father's house, leave your country, leave your family. And then verse 2, he said, I will make you. Every calling is for a man to be made. The first thing is to agree with the one who says you should live where you are. You left your state of unbelief and denial of God's existence and the acceptance of the gift of salvation. You accepted it one day. That is why you are born again. If you are born again, that is what you did. You left your state of living your life by yourself and not allowing the word of God to be your chaperone, to be your guide, to be your, to be, for Jesus to be the Lord of your life indeed. You left it behind. That's where you are. But the next thing he says is, I will make you a great nation. God always calls people to make them. Even when Jesus came and he was calling disciples, what was the first thing he said to them in Luke 5? He said, follow me and I will do what? Make you fishers of men. Every one, of, every one person in our generation must realize that this is what calling is all about. God calls people to make them into what he wants them to be. You are a nation under terror your father, but I want to make you a great nation. He said, I will bless you and make your name great. And ultimately, it ends up with what? And you shall be a blessing. God never calls a man or a woman for their lives to just be about their salvation alone. It is always a call to, like Abraham, be blessed in that call of salvation, but also to be a blessing to transfer that blessing to others. This is why we evangelize. This is why we share our faith with the people we work with. We share our faith with the people we meet in the street. We share our faith on social media. We share our faith as much as possible because it should not end with us. It is all about those that are to be blessed through us. Every time God does something in your life, thank him very well. Then the next thing, start asking him, Lord, who is to be blessed by this gift that you have given to me? Whether it is a gift of a child or a gift of a house or the blessing of a new job or the blessing of a wife or a husband, it does not matter. The next question you should be asking yourself is what is this marriage meant to deliver in terms of being a blessing to others? What is this money in my hand meant to do, not just for my life, but to be a blessing to others? And so on and so forth. He said, and you shall be a blessing. You shall be a blessing. I have told our Commonwealth fellows this story, and I've said it many times when we have fellows come round since we started this in the year 2014, by the grace of God. I was living in Nigeria in the 90s. I came to this country in the year 2000. But before that time, I was, I was uh, you know, living, working fully in, my, in Nigeria, my home country, my birth country. And uh, I, I, I was enjoying life that time. I was in my late 20s at that time. 
and I was an executive engineer, really enjoying the life, flying all over the country, flying out of the country, France, Israel. I was going to places, and I liked my life, and so on, before God said to me, I'm taking you out of your home country to minister my word in a unique way. That was December 1998. I was on a flight from Tel Aviv to Amsterdam when God spoke those words to me, a KLM flight. I can never forget that night. It changed everything about me and how I saw life. But a year before that time, I came to this country, to Loughborough University, uh, the Water and Engineering Development Center, to learn management of urban water supplies just for eight weeks. Somebody say eight weeks. Those eight weeks looked like somebody came to do a degree of four years in the, the amount of knowledge and the amount of wisdom God opened my brain to see about the, 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 the science and the engineering of water, water engineering, from the way you collect it, process it, and distribute it, and pump it, and do all those things that you would do to make water available to people. Everything is like somebody opened my brain like this and poured it inside in eight weeks. By the time I went back home, even my boss was shocked. When we went to meetings, he would talk about contract. All the contract, what we are going to, how they are going to run the contract and the money. When it comes to, let's talk the technology, he hands over to me. <laughs> he hands over to me. I was chewing water treatment as if you, somebody is chewing uh, chewing gum. <laughs> the thing was flowing in my veins. And then I said to myself, you mean just by exposure? I was like any other young engineer at that time in my country. And I had a good degree at the 2-1 from one of our best universities in Nigeria. There's no doubt we're all well trained. We're still together, my mates, we're still together on a WhatsApp group today. We still talk very high level things. They're all very clever guys. Very brilliant guys. We were very, very blessed in our set. But for this one eight-week experience to so transform my life, then I saw that there is power in knowledge, especially where there is the right way of imparting it. And that is one thing this country offers. Take it anywhere. You can argue it. Americans debate it, but me, I know. This country is one of the best where you can learn things. Hallelujah. But the truth is this. That changed my life, and I said, anything I can do to help people, however it is, God help me. When I got back home, I was doing CPD. Nobody gave me money. Nobody, I wasn't looking for money. It was just so, so real to me that you can impact. So I was, I was organizing CPD for our fellow engineers. I would call them together. I would teach them aspects of it. When we went to our clients and we did projects for them, I would call their own engineers. I said, come on, let me teach you this. I would teach them how to check for pipes, how to design pumping stations. And so many, I was just doing those things free of charge, not charging any money. I didn't know that God was putting in my heart a burden for an opportunity like we will eventually have with the Commonwealth program. When I came to this country, after 12 years that God called me into this ministry, and we started doing the work, and God showed me how we can partner through a very close friend of mine with this commission to be able to do this, compete with universities like others that we are working now, I began to see the power. And from that year, every year, we see people come from various countries, study, do different things, even had bigger opportunities like I had than I had when I came. And I see stories every year of people who are having impact in these things. This is just one aspect, one aspect of the many things that I can tell you. Let's not even talk on the spiritual side of things. 
not to talk on those that, you know, have done, you know, other kinds of studies like I have done and so on and so forth. But my point is that God said to Abraham, and this is what I want you to hold, I will bless you to make your name great and you shall be a blessing. Keep your mind like a funnel that receives from God and is wanting to open out like this. That is what brings the ceaseless flow of the anointing. It brings the ceaseless flow of the favors you need. The Bible says, and God said to Abraham, I will bless you and you shall be a blessing. And in verse 3, he said, I will bless those who bless you and will curse him who curses you. This is why you don't need to be praying that somebody should die. You die. Hey, die. 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 That's a waste of time. You notice we've never prayed that kind of prayer here. If I'm not here, anybody, whoever he is, who prayed that kind of prayer, if I'm not online to see it, please tell me when I come back. Say, he stood there and he said, you die. I not, not die. You fly. You die. No, 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 no. That's nonsense prayer. You, 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 you are wasting your time. Instead of praying for inspiration, say, Lord, inspire me for the next thing. <laughs> That's what you should be doing. God said what? Read, read verse 3. God himself said this. I will do what? I will bless those who bless you. And I will do what? Eh? So somebody is cursing you, trying to curse you. Why are you wasting your time? The person is already what? Ah, by who? By God. So don't do his job for him. Let him do his job. Somebody wants to curse you. Somebody wants to stand against you. Leave him to God. I'm not saying you should put your head on the slaughter for him to cut it off. No. But you know, this, you don't have a fight there. You don't have a fight. The Bible says, for we wrestle not against what? Uh-huh. Who do we wrestle against? Principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. Spiritual wickedness in high places. When you speak those ones into the atmosphere and you say, I curse your operations, you are correct. Because they are the ones that manipulate those flesh and blood that you are trying to fight. So when you are fighting the flesh and blood and you leave them, you are not killing the source. You are not, dis- you are not scattering the source. You are only scattering the agent. So when you scatter that agent, they jump to the next agent. <laughs> so you will have a lot of work to do. But when you know how to dismantle their... You know I play that one. I play that one very well. Scatter their what? Confederacy. You will hear it from me. <laughs> They are gathering together. They are place of trying to agree. Let them never agree. Those are the prayers he asked us to pray. So he said, and in you the families of the earth shall be what? Again, a release of blessing. A release of blessing. Every day my wife and I, we sit down. For 30 years we have done this. You know, I was saying to her last week, I said it's interesting when you look back in time. When we were only 27, just married, my brother-in-law is here, he can corroborate this story, 27, 28, they were calling me elder in the church. <laughs> I was an elder and she was, I was a deacon, sorry, she was a deaconess. By the time I was 32, I had become an elder in the church. And I now look back, I say, how can a 28-year-old be? <laughs> but you know, that time I felt very old because... <laughs> Because there was so much responsibility on us. We would sit down from morning till evening, counsel this one. We two were just two years married that time. Two years, three years married. Help this one. Look at the way this one is going. Pastor will send them to us. Then they asked us to start a family fellowship in the church we are in. We started that fellowship, and what we will be doing is we will just sit down and have maybe another couple with us. All the people around us were in their 20s mostly, but most of them were not married. So they'll be asking, we were only two years married. (laughs) 
They'll say, well, what do you do when your wife is like this? And I'll be looking at myself. I've only just started this journey. <laughs> but somehow God will give us the wisdom. And we were trying to do everything we can to support families that time. And this is one of the reasons I believe God has helped us through a lot of storms. He's helped us. My wife and I have faced storms of different types. Some internally, misunderstandings that many people would have buckled. We will come through it and we'll be stronger than ever. And then some, some, some external things that will just happen to us and we will just weather it again. When you've been together for three decades, I tell you, you know there's a lot you would have gone through. But in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And I decree that it is, shall be so in your life. In the name of Jesus. Because God wants your life to be a blessing, the devil will never rob you of your own blessing. In the name of Jesus. His promise is that you will be blessed to be a blessing. So whatever is warring against your blessing, that is what he said he will curse. And I join him to enforce that curse in the name of Jesus. So don't be worried. Relax yourself like Abraham. The Bible says, verse 4. You know I like verse 4 very much. Let's read verse 4 together. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him. That's enough. That's enough. No, no, forget about Lot. We're not talking about Lot today. Lot, I like Lot very well. That's the name of my father anyway. My late father, Lot. I asked him, where is the Abraham that you follow? <laughs> because I don't know why they call you Lot. <laughs> my father and I used to laugh a lot. My father, his name was Lot Isaiah. His, his father was called Isaiah, so they gave him Lot Isaiah. So when he wrote his name, English people used, before they saw him, they would think he's another British man. <laughs> so when he appears, they say, are you Lord Isaiah? <laughs> so he got tired, that's why he just looked for the name Oloke. That's how he started bearing Oloke. <laughs> he just chose that name. He said he likes it, that he's a very, he's an exalted name. So he gave himself Oloke. And all of us were born into Oloke. <laughs> So I say one day, I say, you are Lot. Like, why, why, where is the Abraham that you follow? That is your elder brother Abraham or what? He said he doesn't know why his parents call him Lot. <laughs> anyway, but you know, Abraham departed as the Lord spoke to him. This is so powerful. If you are going to copy, you see, Abraham's life, three things we must always remember. God called him. God made a big nation out of him. And God gave us something to see of his life. Of his faith. This is one of the things. He departed as the Lord said. I'm going to tell you three ways. That we have to follow Abraham's conviction. Number one. He took physical steps. He departed. That's the first thing. When God speaks to you about a matter. The same way you responded to being born again. And you agreed. Jesus said in Revelation 3.20. I stand at the door of your heart and knock. If Anyone opens their heart to me, I will come in and I will sup with them and they will sup with me, right? For you to be born again, you opened your heart. You allowed him to come in. That's why you are born again. But I want to encourage you, it doesn't end there. God will continue to place a demand on your life to do something. The next stage, the next stage, the next stage. If you look at the whole journey of Abraham, God will call him first out. He departed. Then he calls him, sends him to do things, to fight for his brother. He goes, he does that. And then he asks him in Genesis 22, he asks him to sacrifice his son. He does that. 
every step of the way, you must continue to respond to God. These families of the earth being blessed through you will mean some displacement. It will mean some inconvenience. It will mean some spending money. It will mean some sleepless nights. It will mean something that will take away from you. But ultimately, the blessing will be released and more shall be given to you because you are walking in obedience. Genesis chapter 12, God called him and he departed. Like I said earlier on, as he goes, famine started to happen when he moved. The Bible says that he went down to Egypt. Pharaoh was about to take his wife because he thought he was his sister because he didn't want them to kill him. God, God help you if you have a beautiful wife and you go to jealous and crazy men. They may want to kill you to take your wife. That's what happened to Abraham. And he said, She's, when they ask you, who are you? Say, say, you are my sister. Now, the truth is, that is a lie. But the truth is that, again, I'm not, don't go and ever use this, say, ha, this is why. If they killed him, it would truncate God's plan. So the wisdom of God to escape that trap, as he could think at that time. Don't forget, he was still at the very early stages of his knowing God. So we need to understand the context before people say Abraham lied and God loved him. He lied, he lied. He, eh. There is a wider ramification to it. And then up on top of that, after that, the man gave him a lot of things. It was what took his wealth to the next level. Abraham left Haran with a lot of things. We don't have time to look at the scriptures today. But if you go into Genesis 13, you will see that after the man sent him away, he gave him a lot of things. Kind of like to appease him, give him more cattle, more gold, more things. And that was one of the things that made Abraham even wealthier. Because Abraham had over 300 people that he took to war alone. So probably about 500, 600 would have been with him if you count the women and the children. But he took 300 to war as at Genesis 14. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you don't maintain an army like that with, uh, with a few things. You need something for it. So my point is that there is a context in everything about Abraham's life. Okay? So, but when they ask you your age at the interview, don't say I'm 25. It's just because, <laughs> because when your age, your real age is 35. Okay? When my wife first came, there, those were the days people can use other people's name to work, to do work. You know, they go into a place, you know, they, they, they just go there and say I'm, a, I'm David. They still do it. They still do it. Wonderful. Those are tough people with this biometric day and age. <laughs> you know, I had that some illegal immigrants went to work in the home office in, in, 20, in 2005 and they caught them there. That's when I knew that human beings can be very tough. They came from one country. I won't tell you which country, but uh, this is what <laughs> I say only people from that country can go and do this. No paper. No paper. How on earth do you do that? And then you go right into the home office to walk. Human beings. I mean, I heard that. I said, man, <laughs> this is the peak of it. <laughs> this is the peak of it. You go right to the lion's den <laughs> to go and eat a goat meat. <laughs> right in front of a lion, you are eating goat meat. Ah, <laughs> I gave up. I gave up. But yeah, those days, you know, so this guy said his name was Mohammed, but his real name was Ali or something like that. But he was using Mohammed because the paper he brought to the workplace is Mohammed. 
So when he started the work, people will call him Muhammad. It will take time for it to register. He said, Muhammad, come now, Muhammad, come. And he will remember that, ah, that's my name. <laughs> so those that knew him told him, look, if you are not clever about this thing, they will pick you up. <laughs> so they started telling, when you are coming to work, say, I'm Muhammad, I'm Muhammad, I'm Muhammad, I'm Muhammad. All through the drive, just say, I'm Muhammad, my name is Muhammad, my name is I'm not Ali. <laughs> For the sake of this work, I'm not Ali. <laughs> so I'm not asking you to go and be lying like that. No. You are, you are 35 years old. Say, I'm 35. That's why I do, I'm not ashamed to say my age anytime. I'm not. You are, it's, too, it's too strenuous to be lying. You know that? If you tell this one that you are 25, and you tell that one that you are 30, and you tell that one that you are 32, when this one meets you, you have to reprogram and say, am I 25 or 30 or 32 to you? But you have one age. Whoever meets you, you give your one age. Isn't it? Let it be. Let life take its course. So I'm not asking, I'm validating lying anyway, but we can see of a certainty that there was something of the wisdom of God somehow in that process that worked out in the life of Abraham. And we need to understand that as believers. Hebrews 11, verse 8 to verse 10. It was his life of faith. The Bible says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called. Hebrews 11, verse 8. When he was called to go out to the place which he should receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. I'm reading Hebrews 11 verse 8 to verse 10. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham was somebody who took physical steps by his conviction. He went out by faith. God will be asking you to do things by faith because that is what will launch you to the next platform that will be meant to support or to do what God wants to do in the life of those he's sending you to. Most of the time, God will call you out of comfort. When people say, oh, uh, God called me, I didn't hear. He called me second time, I didn't hear. Then he made sure I lost my job. He made sure, I'm not trivializing such testimonies. It just shows their level of faith and understanding at that time. But honestly, you don't have to live like that. Why do you want to wait until he burns all your house before you know that you should leave that house for something he wants you to do? No. Just obey. Just obey. Like I said, in my late 20s, God telling me he would take me out of my home country. I knew that that would mean going somewhere else to start. Nobody in my age at 28, 29, we want to leave what I was doing then. It would look like madness, what I had then. It would look like madness, where you had a life where, you know, you always had money coming in, you were flying the world, you were doing things, you had steward, you had driver, you had those things. You know how we do in, in those countries when you're a professional? You come out like that every morning, as if, <laughs> and somebody will come and collect your bag, another one will open the door for you. You are only 29 years old. If you are not careful, pride will enter your head, and you will think that's the end of the world, until you sit down with other engineers or professionals across the world that you see that you don't know anything yet. <laughs> you are only learning. But my point is that it was convenient. My wife was enjoying herself. We were just having one child, just very young. My, my son was changing clothes every day. My wife would go and buy like 40, 50 at a time. Different clothes, different shoes. The boy was only two years old. They would deck him up every day. Every day, look as if he was going to church. <laughs> because we could afford it. Those days, many people were not using diapers. 19, late 98. 
Many people could not afford diapers. We will buy diapers. Full. Change three, four a day. Didn't mean anything. So God said, leave all that. I'm taking you to somewhere for and I, to minister my word in a unique way. I didn't know what that meant until I came to this country and I started all over again, virtually. Started from a studio flat and started to follow God's plan. Started to follow God's plan. Whatever I was called to do in the ministry, I gave myself to it. Every church I served, I gave myself to it. Started doing whatever I should do to improve myself professionally. And as God was helping me professionally, he was helping me academically, helping me to train in ministry, then eventually called me into this particular role. The Bible says in verse 9, by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. No situation must ever be permanent. God can speak at any time. He can ask you, demand something from you anytime. The Bible says, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents, in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Let's read verse 10 together. Let's read verse 10, everybody, very quickly. It says, for he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He heard God's voice, and all he kept on looking was for that land. In his time, it meant the land of promise, the land of Canaan. For us as believers today, it means heaven. You live your life every day on this earth as you are living in a tent. Every day, you are living in a tent. Don't let your life be so fixed on this earth. This is the cure to worldliness and, uh, and uh, all kinds of greed. This is the cure to things that people are chasing after. I have told you time and time again, whatever will be your portion will be your portion. Enjoy God for whatever you have. This idea of always looking at the next thing you are yet to have is a trick of the devil to rob you of the joy of today. Enjoy your life. There was a time in this country, I will give you, some of you have heard this story many times, I will give my wife five pounds, five pounds to go and make soup for us. Yes. Don't pity me. We ate it. <laughs> we ate it. We enjoyed it. She will go and buy peanut butter and buy chicken wings in Asda for one pound those days. I don't think they still sell it like that again. No. These days I shop online. Anything that is not online, I don't. <laughs> My shopping is all online. So I don't know what happens in the shops as much. But you know something? She will buy it and cook it and make some semolina. We will eat it. My son will eat it. All of us will be grateful to God. Hallelujah. That was a phase. We enjoyed it. And then we gradually moved. We gradually moved. We gradually moved. As God empowered but in those days, we were still doing whatever we could do. Somebody gave me a car, dashed me a car. I turned that car to a church taxi and started using it in the church I was serving as helping people who were coming from various parts of the city that did not have access to transport, especially after the service. Just keep doing whatever it is. Because, you see, it's good to say some of these stories because at times people just see a few things and we're still on a journey by God's grace. One day you say, oh, that guy is lucky. Oh, that guy is settled. No, it's not luck. It's not luck. There is a process. There is a tent life that you are living and you are enjoying every day. When we went to Australia two weeks ago, I told you, we went to one place, we sat down. And after they brought the bill, you know, at times you sit down like a big man that doesn't care what they will bring the bill. When they bring the bill, then you, <laughs> you will look again whether <laughs> the dot is in the wrong place. or. <laughs> 
that dot that you usually see that you have two digits at the end, you want to know whether it has shifted or what? <laughs> you only ate steak and something, and they told you it's 160. Huh? <laughs> so you want to be sure, is it 16 or? <laughs> then when it comes out, is everything okay, sir? You say, oh, yeah, very, very okay. <laughs> very okay. And you give them the card and you tell your wife, I think in the afternoon, we'll look for another. <laughs> Let's, let, let's just do some scouting around. <laughs> because if you eat that kind of thing 10 times, that's over 1,000 pounds. <laughs> that can buy a car for somebody. <laughs> ah, 1,000 pounds eating steak. <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, anyway, but you know, but you know, the truth is, by the grace of God, yeah, one can do that. One can do that. We can bless people by God's grace. We can bless people. Many times we bless people. Every week, every time, we're blessing people with things. With, with things. Not just people. The house of God. The work of God. But we didn't just get here one day. No. No. That woman, if I can buy a plane for her, I will buy it for her. I will. God sees my heart. Yeah, I mean, you, you can clap. You can clap. It's worth clapping. Don't be afraid. Because... 30 years ago, before we were married, she would sit down on a motorbike and follow me to where I was invited to preach. I did not have suit. You have heard that story. I would wear my shirt. She would climb the next bike. We would go to, to Baptist Church in the city of Kaduna in northern Nigeria, and then in Zaria, where we met all cities in northern Nigeria. We were, we were 23, 4, 25, before we got married. And she will follow me. She will sit in the congregation like this. And I will be preaching and telling people and encouraging people to serve the Lord and serve the Lord. And she believed in me. We will cook one, cook one pot of soup that we know the number of meat that is inside. She will cook it for me and go to school. One day we had a visitor and uh, there was only one piece left, uh, two pieces left. So she gave the visitor one and the last piece she gave to me. Then she sat close to me. So we were eating and eating. My guest didn't know what was happening. I didn't know that those were the only two left. So I was about to carry it and eat. Then somebody said, look at your wife. Look at your fiancé, because we were not married then. I said, look at your fiancé. Then I turned and I looked at her. She looked at me one kind. Of, you know we are going to share that. <laughs> we did not speak. We did not do anything. My friend today, except he hears this message, did not know what happened. So as I carried it close to my mouth and I saw her face, I put it back down. <laughs> I continued telling my friend all the stories I knew. I pushed this too to her. She went into the kitchen and cut it up and brought it back. Then I ate it as if that is a normal thing to do. <laughs> and she ate her piece. My point is that everybody has a story. Abraham had a story. But whatever you do, keep waiting for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. When your focus is on heaven, whatever you have on earth today is good enough. Because that one will beat anything you will ever have in this life. In the name of Jesus. I've been flying since I was a child. As age 10 year old. My father took us to the United States from Nigeria when he was doing his own PhD. We flew with him. I've been flying since that year. September 1978. I was only 9 years old. And I've been flying since then. I have never flown first class. Until God puts me in that kind of category, I would never. And I used to see it every time. You know, they make you walk past it <laughs> to show you that you, you need to be serious with your life. <laughs> I don't know why they don't let us enter from the. 
let us just enter from the back where we paid our ticket to sit. <laughs> we know that there is first class where we booked it. <laughs> we will pay for our seat. <laughs> As my people will say. And they will take us from the front. Make us walk through first class, business class. And those ladies who look at your tickets, they just keep going down. <laughs> just keep going down. I know, I will go down. <laughs> Don't tell me, I know. <laughs> I know my seat. <laughs> just keep going down. You're welcome. <laughs> just keep going down. <laughs> but you know, I have never felt one day, felt bad, that Lord, which day am I going to find this person? No, two times they upgraded me, two or three times in my life. Okay, four times now. They upgraded me to business class. I think they just pitied me that this guy, if we don't upgrade him one day, you know. <laughs> so I know how to enjoy business class. But a ticket costs 6000 Another one costs 600 Uh-huh. I, <laughs> you know what I'm going to say next. <laughs> when it's time, yeah, maybe a time comes. You have that kind of level of life. Fine, then it means nothing to you because even that 600, somebody cannot afford it. So thank God you can afford that. You pay it, enjoy it. They bring the food, they say all the beef has finished, only pasta remains. They say, Give me, let me eat. <laughs> Something that will never happen in business class. But my point is, enjoy it, enjoy it. At the end of the day, the plane takes you up, it brings you down. But don't let that be your consolation. <laughs> Keep trusting God for higher things. And you will enjoy higher things of life. In the name of Jesus. I heard one Nigerian comedian say, he used a card. I used to laugh at him. I said, how can a car laugh at you? He said, when he starts the engine, the car will go. <laughs> I said, oh God. I said, I thought my own was the highest poverty. He said, his car will go. <laughs> and we refuse to start. He said, the car was laughing at him. Anyway, that's number one. He moved, as God said, very quickly because of our time. Number two, he believed in God's agenda for his life as he reasoned with God. Abraham was a man who knew how to reason with God. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1 to verse 6. The Bible says the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abraham, I'm your shield, your exceeding great reward. Verse 2, Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? This is Genesis chapter 15, verse 3 now. Then Abraham said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And let's read Genesis 15, verse 4. Everybody, Genesis 15, please go to verse 4. He said, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Genesis 15, verse 4, this shall not be your heir, but the one who will come out of your own body shall be your heir. He reasoned with God. Thank you very much. Go to verse 6. The Bible says, And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Between verse five, verse 4, 5, the Bible says God took him out and said, This is how numerous your offsprings will be. Showed him a picture of what he could not imagine. You don't have one child, and here he's showing you stars, sons of the sea, and telling you that that is how numerous they will become. The Bible says, and he believed in the Lord. He became convinced. Friends, you need to learn how to be convinced at what God has said and what God wants to do. You need to learn how to be convinced. Many times when God speaks to you about a thing, the physical situations around you don't look it. 
People may even mock you. People may even laugh at you. People may say, who do you think you are? But it doesn't matter. As long as God says to you, this is what I'm about to do in your life. Go to the word of God every time. Be convinced about what he has said. And then live out your conviction by your declarations, by your thought process, by the things, by the steps you start to take. Reason with God. Reasoning with God is not a sin. It's not a sin. It is only doubting after reasoning with him that is tantamount to sin. Mary reasoned with God. She said, how can this be, seeing that I know not a man? And the angel didn't strike her dead for asking that question. No. Ask the question. Ask the question. When God calls you, you say, Lord, thank you. When God called me and he said to me that he, he, you know, he, he's called me into, into this, I said, Lord, you have given me many things to do. In this country alone, I'm grateful. I'm an academic. I'm a practitioner of my engineering practice. I am grateful. You have done well for me, and I'm truly thankful. Honestly, and I meant it. And he said to me, son, this is not a job for you. It's an assignment. And it opened my mind to see many things about what an assignment is. I know as an educationist that if you give an assignment to people, you must have a solution. You know, you have a solution. So you have nothing to worry about because the one who gave the assignment has the solution. So it gave me peace of mind. And it also made me to see that as an assignment, it's not a money-making thing for me, but a duty that I need to perform for him. And he uses whatever he will have around me to be a blessing. And that understanding helped me in the other areas of my practice as well. Reason with God, it doesn't mean anything. Say, Lord, I've just come to this country. How can it be? I need to do this. I need to do that. How am I going to overcome this and overcome that? If he's calling you into something, just go into it. Just go into it. Don't hesitate. Because, you see, a lot of things that are your progress and blessings, like it was for Abraham, are tied to your movement and obedience to his word. If Abraham has remained at Haran, he would have died in Haran, we would have never heard about him, and he would have probably been an average person that nobody knew of. But the moment he obeyed, he began to become the friend of God, and God began to reveal himself to him. Let us not doubt him. He said, let us reason together. Isaiah 1.18 says, let us reason together. Let us reason together. Reason with God is not a problem at all. James 1 verse 6, it said, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven by the wind. Verse 7 and 8, it said, for let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. Thank you. James 1, 7 and 8. Let not that man think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Thank you very much for that scripture. Don't doubt God. I have told you many times one of the things you can do to, to make God angry is to doubt him. How do you feel when your son, your child, asks you for a school meal of two pounds, three pounds, whatever it is, and you have it right there in your pocket to give to them, and they are doubting and asking, Dad, are you sure you can do this? Are you sure you can provide this money? I'm going, to, I'm, I'm going to die in school. You know, children can talk like that at times. If I don't eat, I'm going to die. <laughs> and you are like, how do you feel hearing that kind of thing from that seven-year-old, eight-year-old? You're not going to be happy because you know that they are doubting you. God doesn't like us to doubt him. And may God continue to help us to follow him 
indeed. In the name of Jesus. The last thing I want to share about Abraham is that he was ready to sacrifice anything, including his beloved son. We know this in Genesis 22, verse 12. God said to him, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. That's Genesis 22, verse 12. He said, now I know. Now I know. What did Abraham know? What did Abraham know? I'd like you to go, go, just go straight to Romans 4, 16, if you have not found Genesis. Romans 4, 16 and 17. You can open to it if you have it. This is what he knew. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is also the father of us all. As it is written, verse 17, Romans 4:17, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who he believed. Thank you. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things that do not exist as though they did. Whatever you do, always remember these two things. If you want to be purely sacrificial for God, he gives life to the dead and he will always call those things. He has capacity to call those things that are not as though they were. So the moment God is telling you, this is what I want you to do for me. This is what I need you to do. That pronouncement has already put the provision in your future. The only thing is you have to walk to it. It will not come and meet you where you are. No, you have to walk to it. When Peter said, if it is you, Lord, bid me to come, the thing to hold him on water was waiting in the water, not in the boat. But when he stood and took the step and he put his foot on the water, that thing kicked in and held him on the water until he became afraid and started to sink. Keep seeing God's provision because the Bible says he gives life to the dead. Whatever looks like you are sacrificing that will be like a dead thing that will be gone and you will not have. Like Abraham was ready to kill his son. He will need to see that God gives life to what is dead already or calls the things that are not. One of the two he will always do anytime he calls you. Is either that thing that you have laid down. When Jesus laid down his life, the Bible says the spirit quickened him and raised him from the dead. And today, as many that received him, he has been given what power to become the sons of God. And we are joint heirs with him. He laid down one life. Today, we are billions of us on the earth. He gives life to the dead. Never, ever. You see, this thing called money is just numbers. Whatever degree of money you need, you need, I didn't say want, whatever degree of money you need per time for anything, especially in the assignments of God and the things that God is calling you to do, trust him for it. He will make them available for you. I say he will make them available for you in the name of Jesus. You know, in this church, we don't say you give 1,000, God give you 10,000, those kind of things. No, but whatever you give, give it as a sacrifice that you are killing, you are putting on the altar because he gives life to the dead. This is why some of us have refused all those lies about tithing or not tithing for 30 years because we know. We know the days we were tithing 100 pounds. We saw what it was bringing back to us. So when God moved us up, we went beyond 100. 
When he moved us to 200, we went beyond 200. I won't tell you where we are now. But he moved us up, moved us up, moved us up. When it will become 10,000, it will become like normal. Because you are working with him, it's not a gimmick. It's not a gimmick. He gives life to the dead. Whatever you put on the altar for him, your life, your time, your money, your energy, your resources, he gives life to it and makes it bigger so that you can increase and do more for him. And anything he needs to call that is not yet existing, he calls it. And when he calls it, believe him. And watch what God will be doing in and through your life. In the name of Jesus. All of us are saying, Abraham's blessings are mine. Have we ever sang that song? Abraham's blessings are mine. I am blessed in the morning. I'm blessed in the evening. Abraham's blessings are mine. They are true. Let Abraham's obedience be yours. Just let Abraham's obedience be yours. Then you'll be blessed in the morning. You'll be blessed in the evening. Truly, let Abraham's obedience be yours. That is my version of the song. If you want Abraham's blessing to come to you. You see, the truth of the matter is that there are many examples that we have in scripture that shows us that people who are convinced who are convinced and are convicted by it are people who truly work with God and ex- experience exploits. There are many examples of scripture. Then in our own lives, we see it as well. Whatever God has done in your life in time past, never let go of it. Whatever you have seen him do in somebody else's life, never let go of it. Those two things help you to build your faith. Faith is not as difficult to have. You just need to be a good thinker. If you're a good thinker, you will easily have faith because you can reason at what God has done before. I have said to you before, if let's just use money. If your challenge today is 5,000 pounds to get something, to do something, has God ever given you five pounds? I'm sure he has. If he is the one that gave you the five pounds that today may not look significant or the 50 pounds that you spend so easily now, you don't even think before doing it, is the same God that can make the 5,000 possible, 5 million possible, as you need it. Just believe him. Never doubt him. And your life will never remain the same again. In the name of Jesus. One of the things that he makes alive is our soul. The Bible says the soul that sins shall die. If we continue to live in sin and say that grace should abound, we are doing ourselves a lot of injustice. We need to lay down our lives on the altar. We have an opportunity to engage with the communion today, but we need to lay down our lives on the altar. That's the first thing he needs from you. God is not looking for anybody's money. He doesn't need it. God is not looking for anybody's anything. He's looking for the souls. That is why his son came. And every one of us must be reminding ourselves the quality, what will take you from this earth to that place he has prepared for you in heaven is your soul being saved. Is you becoming born again. So don't toy with it. Don't say, I don't know if I'm born again or I'm not. Or yesterday I was born again. Today I don't think I'm born again. When you are living like that, it means you are not born again. Okay? Everybody should be convinced. That is the first conviction you need, that you are a child of God. And so I'm going to pray with you today to have that conviction. And those of you online or listening to this message, make that prayer as well, so that God can truly save you. It is just about an invitation into your life. And then, once you get saved, you start the journey of the faith. Leave Haran and begin to go to your land of promise, which we will all get to in heaven. But as we transit this world, you'll be demanding different things like he did for Abraham. 
And from time to time, as you take those steps in obedience, you will see God reward you openly. In the mighty name of Jesus, let's rise to our feet.